0: Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. These are God's words. In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him, and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And now, even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. Jesus is Yahweh who has come to comfort and save his people. Uh, We heard in the collection uh, of events uh, following his birth at the end of chapter 2 that the Lord has everlasting electing love for the elect Israel, for uh, the Israel of promise, um, which is to be distinguished from the Israel of the flesh Uh, according to Romans chapter 9 and following. But the Israel of the flesh are the ones to whom and through whom the promise came. And so they are beloved uh, of God in his saving purposes in the world, and his love for them is expressed in the language that belongs to the Israel of promise. And so we heard from Hosea 11, which begins with out of Egypt I called my son and continues throughout the rest of that chapter with God's everlasting love for Ephraim, for Israel. The love that refuses to let him go. The love that insists to bring him back. That God will not give up those upon whom he has set this everlasting love. When we heard from Jeremiah 31 that in this same everlasting adopting love, God intended uh, to bring his people back from captivity, not just from a Babylonian captivity, but from spiritual captivity to their sins, that having chastened the nation for the nation's sins, he would bring an age in the life of the church uh, in which he did something new. There would be a new covenant, not something that replaces um, the covenant of grace. Uh, but a new era, a new iteration, a progression in the covenant of grace. And it would be marked by new hearts. And now, uh, uh, as John the Baptist comes and he preaches, uh, Matthew quotes from Isaiah 40, another chapter, that is talking about uh, this love for his elect throughout the ages that is expressed in this new era, in the Lord's dealing with his church on earth, uh, a new era that goes from dealing with national Israel as a church to dealing with a church on earth whose head is not a king on a throne in Jerusalem, but whose head is a king on a throne in heaven. And Yahweh himself comes as that king, and he sends a messenger before him. And that's who Matthew identifies John as. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh, make his path straight. Uh, And in that chapter, it talks about mountains being laid low and valleys being raised up so that um, in this picture of the church generally and of a sinner's heart specifically, uh, God changes the nature of the very thing uh, as the king comes to take up his residence. Uh, And that is what John comes preaching. Verse 2, it says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what we'll hear John preaching then is the necessity of humility and the necessity of urgency. And the reality of hope. First, the necessity of humility. When he says repent here, the uh, word is change your thinking, and not just change or make a alter the manner in which you think, but uh, exchange the the. Uh, the nature of your mind. It's better translated, I think, be converted for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is a necessity of humility uh, to say uh, for the king coming to be good news for me, I need to be fundamentally changed. Uh, I need to go from mountains and valleys to a plain. Uh, I need a new heart uh, in order uh, to uh, receive the king uh, in blessing and salvation, similar to what Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about in John chapter 3, when Jesus knows that Nicodemus has come with questions about the kingdom, uh, and he tells him, Why are you asking about the kingdom? You couldn't enter it if it came. uh, Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And we have to come to that point before God where we know that we need to be fundamentally different beings than we came into this world, uh, than the ones as which we came into this world. Uh, And so there's necessary humility. That's why uh, John when he sees the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism to add one more spiritual action, one uh, more display of their religiosity, uh, one more uh, ritual washing, although they had plenty uh, from the Bible, and they had plenty that they had added to the Bible, but now John was doing one, and all of Jerusalem and Judea were coming out to him, uh, and so they didn't want to be left out of another spiritual washing uh, and yet they did not think that they themselves needed to be fundamentally changed, which is why, um, uh, why John tells them to bear fruit worthy or in keeping with that is appropriate to repentance in verse eight. They, they thought that they were doing pretty good and, uh, in their uh religious life and their moral life uh, they certainly thought that since they were children of uh of Abraham they did not need um uh to be changed they thought their church membership was enough uh that it meant that they were saved to be part of the covenant uh externally uh, as uh, as members of the visible church and he says no uh you have to bear fruit that proves you're a different kind of tree uh, you have to uh, bear uh, the resemblance uh, to Abraham, not just uh, be descended uh, from Abraham. Uh, God is able to make children of Abraham out of stones, which of course was the promise in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 26, that God takes those who are stones and makes them flesh. He takes those who are dead and makes them alive. Those who uh, care nothing for God and makes them into those who love God. Uh, and so there is the humility to, to say, I, apart from grace, am a spiritual stone. I need to be converted. And that's what John's baptism was saying. John's baptism was uh, with water, unto repentance uh, it was people who felt the need uh, to be converted and even converted people feel the need of their conversion because yes they are converted and it only happens once but we continually deal with our remaining sin don't we uh, and we we continually deal with what's left of our original nature And so we cling to God for his mercy to give life and success and strength to our new nature that we may continue putting to death what remains from the old. And so just because we are converted doesn't mean uh, we lose our sense of the need for that conversion that we already have. We lay hold of God and his grace and live in dependence upon him um, uh, to continue uh, sustaining that new life that is from him alone. So there's that humility that is needed. And it's urgent. It's urgent because Jesus has come. And Jesus coming uh, means the end of the ages is upon us. Uh, But the end of the ages is always upon any child of Adam. Because you're only going to be in this world for a little while and then you're going to be in eternity. People are like, oh, I think the end is going to come within my lifetime. Well, that's actually true for every single one of us. Because your end comes at the conclusion of your lifetime. And then there is eternity. But Jesus' arrival signifies uh, the dawn of the last age uh, of this world. And the picture is very urgent and very pressing. An axe mid-swing about to uh, chop the tree down that it may be cast into the fire. Jesus... Uh, coming yes to save and we'll get to that in the third part hope uh, but as he is saving he's also identifying those who are going to be burnt, and so he's separating those who have the spiritual uselessness of the life that is from themselves the chaff that lacks weight and so it it doesn't fall to the ground of the threshing floor uh, it blows out and the chaff that uh, that blows out to the sides and and uh, and ends up in piles and then there's the grain in the slightly uh, in the slightly sloped floor uh that uh that ends up in the bottom uh, and then he's going to gather the grain for himself but the chaff he's going to burn it becomes really good tinder Uh, And that's what a man's spiritual life or spiritual worthiness is apart from God's grace. And in John's picture, God is getting ready to burn up anyone and everyone who doesn't have this new converted life from God. And so uh, it is very urgent. Every one of you, every one of us is about to enter eternity. And if we enter eternity in ourselves, we will burn. We must enter eternity as those who have been converted. But we cannot convert ourselves. The water says, the water of John's baptism says, be converted, bear fruit. Don't just trust in your church membership. You need to be uh, a child of Abraham in the heart, not just in the DNA. You need to be a child of Abraham in your soul with the faith of Abraham and the God of Abraham and the new life in you that God had given to Abraham. And so we're grateful that this passage holds before us not just the necessity of humility and the urgency of uh, of conversion, but hope. John says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the phrase "and fire there at the end of verse 11 is um, uh, something that is one of those peculiarities of the Greek New Testament uh, that they had in the 16th and 17th century in the West that was built really off of the work of one man named uh, Erasmus. It's not in the majority text. It's not in the, the Greek that was used throughout the ages, throughout the centuries, uh, that the Lord preserved pure and entire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so John knows that his baptism is not Christian baptism. Uh, In fact, it's kind of a surprise at the end of uh, the book of Matthew when John, when Jesus commands that there be water baptisms on earth still, because John here in this passage uh, sets water baptism over against Christian baptism is, I baptize with water. Jesus is going to baptize with the Spirit. Uh, And so uh, the water, of course, was a sign that I need to be converted. But even the sign that I need to be converted, it self-testifies I cannot convert myself. But Jesus comes and he baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and he is the one who gives conversion. In Ezekiel 26 which is a parallel with Jeremiah 31. Both of them, both passages talk about the new heart that is, uh, that is necessary. Uh, but in Ezekiel 26, God is more specific about how that new heart comes. It comes by his spirit. Uh, and Jesus then uh, will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Uh, he will pour out as, uh, as we read and heard over and over again in Acts. Uh, His Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the one who gives you the new heart. He was always the one who gave new hearts. How did people get saved in the Old Testament? The Holy Spirit gave them new hearts, and they hoped in a Christ uh, who would come. How do people get saved in the New Testament? The Holy Spirit gives them new hearts, and they hope in a Christ who has come. Uh, But part of the newness of the New Testament is that the Lord Jesus has come. And so now, we don't just hope in a salvation that will come. We know that we are united to our Savior. We have a life that is shared with him. Uh, And so we know God as our Father, and we know Jesus as our life. Uh, And then uh, there is a new relation even to the Holy Spirit, for he does not just give life to us, as he always did. He dwells in our hearts uh, as the Spirit of the Son, So in the fullness of time, God sent uh, forth his son, born under the law, etc., and we're identified with him. And when you believe in him as a Christian, you have this experiential union with Jesus Christ, uh, and you know that your life is joined to his. And when you know the Holy Spirit as a Christian, you know him not just as the one who helps you and is alongside you, and always with you, but you know Him as the One who dwells in you. You live in fellowship with God the Holy Spirit, uh, and so the pouring out of the Holy Spirit uh, by the Lord Jesus uh, is uh, indicates that the God the Spirit applies to us continually the life of God the Son. Uh, conversion is not something new. But this indwelling of the Holy Spirit by a resurrected, ascended, enthroned Savior, that is something new. Uh, and it means that believers can have assurance of faith. Uh, believers can know that they are converted by the fellowship that they have with the Son, by the fellowship that they have with God the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Uh, and so we claim our privilege as New Covenant Christians by taking that which Jesus has commanded, which is different than John's baptism, right? Christian baptism is Jesus pouring out his Holy Spirit, but he has commanded a baptism on earth that is now connected to his baptism. And you can know by the pouring out of the water on earth, uh, every time you see uh, another uh, baptism and you see the water poured and you remember that he who commanded that the water be poured on earth is the one who pours his spirit from heaven. And that when he pours his spirit, his spirit just doesn't just end up on us, but he ends up in us. God makes his spirit to, near Jesus in particular, who is God, of course, makes his spirit to dwell within us. And yes, I have my remaining sin. And I feel my need of conversion. But I feel something else even more greatly. That Jesus, my Savior, has obeyed in my place. And he has died in my place. And he has risen with power. And it is he who has made his spirit to come dwell in me. And God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will not fail to save me. All the way to the end. So that when all the axes have fallen and all the grain has been threshed, I can know by what he has done from heaven. And I've been assured of by his testimony in the sacrament on earth. I can know that I will be the grain among the grain who are gathered into the barn. I can know that the king came not as my enemy, but as my savior. And so the greatness of the Lord Jesus and the greatness of his spirit, whom he has given to me, gives me hope. So we feel the necessity of our conversion. We know the urgency of that conversion, but we can also receive and know the hope that we have for conversion from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. We pray, Lord, that you would give us humility about ourselves, but uh, a right opinion also of yourself and your glory and the glory of your spirit, whom you give to convert us and sanctify us and preserve us. Lord, bless to us our water baptisms, that we would be all the more sure of our spirit baptism from you. Make us to know his fellowship as dwelling with us in our hearts. Make us to know your fellowship as the one with whom we have a shared life now. We ask these things in your own name, Lord Jesus. Amen.